Oh, come on. Say it like you really are. Y'all ready for the word this morning? Come on. Listen, we're a word church. We believe in the Bible. We believe that it is absolutely uh, inspired uh, by God, pinned by man, but inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit. And we believe it from the front to the back, all the way to the maps. Amen. And so uh, we have been in a collection here at the Becoming Church, and we speak in what we call collections, so think sermon series. And, and we are in week three. You caught us at a good time. We're in week three of this collection called uh, Make Room. And uh, the idea of this collection, Make Room, is not just about, okay, so we just, this is our third Sunday of going to two services. It's not about that. Like, yes, that's cool. That's awesome. We're excited about what God is doing here in our church. But this is about making room for God spiritually in our lives. Because if we're going to make room anywhere, it has to begin with him. And that's how we kicked off this uh, collection, talking about making room for God. And the way we do that is making room for Scripture, that we hold Scripture at a high regard in our lives. That is not just suggestions, but the Lord is saying this is the way, a way of life. And that also we would make room for prayer, that we can't be Christians who don't pray. We have to be Christians who pray, that prayer is a channel where you can release your heart and thoughts to God and, and capture His. And also making room for others. And then Guy, last week, uh, he so uh, beautifully expounded on this idea of making room for others. Uh, talking about that last week, that pretty much anything that we're going to do that has significance for the kingdom of God is going to require us to make room for others. That our vertical relationship is important, but it's our horizontal relationship as well that will enhance our walk with God. Because it's a lot uh, easier to serve God in community than you can in isolation. And so today in week three of this collection uh, called Make Room, we're going to have this conversation, Make Room for More. And so if you're taking notes, you can write that down, Make Room for More. We're going to be coming from 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And, and, and while you're turning there, I'll let you know about this. Uh, you can actually follow along today uh, by way of the TVC app. And so if you're one who haven't, you haven't jumped on that train yet and downloaded the Becoming Church app, <clears throat> you can hit up uh, Google Play in the App Store right now. Hop on your phone, go in the store, and search the Becoming Church, and you'll see the app available right there. And once it downloads, you can hit uh, Connection. It's a tap at the bottom, and right at the top, you'll see Make Room. Click that, and you'll be able to track along with me this morning. Amen? So 2 Kings, chapter 4, <clears throat> excuse me, it's cold and pollen is hitting at the same time. That just ain't fair. 2 Kings, chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, says this, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and now and know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. So Elijah said, well, go around, ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then I want you to go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left them, shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me a, another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. And here it is, verse 7. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we're grateful. We're thankful for who you are. Thank you, God, for all that you do, all that you've done. We thank you for this moment. Thank you for this space that we get to share together. And Lord, I pray that we don't take it lightly this moment, God. Thank you for your presence that is here. Holy Spirit, we need you. I need you. I pray that you reveal the truth that's contained in your word to us this morning. 
God, we're not here for a TED talk or a motivational speech. We're here for the word of God that has transformative power. Transform us, Lord, from the inside out. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing and to hear what you're saying. And we're your servants, and we say this, speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Come on, come on, everybody said. Amen and amen. I'm just going to jump right into it. Is that okay? Cool. It's okay for two of you. That's okay. So the others, you just got to just gotta deal with it. So to give a little context to the text, Elisha, uh, he's a prophet. And in the Old Testament, you would see um, God call a prophet uh, who would get the word from God and take the word of God to people. And Elisha was a mentee uh, to his mentor, Elijah, the great prophet of God that many of you may be familiar with. He's known for uh, dealing with Jezebel and, and ultimately taking down the prophets of Baal in an amazing way. And so Elisha is his uh, mentor. And it's really cool that um, Elisha asks, like, listen, I just, I just want what you have. <laughs> and, and the Bible records 20 miracles of Elijah and 40 of Elisha. So literally it was a double uh, portion of what he got to experience in his ministry. Uh, but now there's this thing called the, the school of prophets or the company of prophets. And someone within that uh, collective has died. And his death has left a hole in his family. And so now his wife and two boys are going without. Uh, and the creditors are coming to collect. And this may seem like, <clears throat> man, there's, there's no lack of compassion and care. But under Hebrew law, under Mosaic law, he was, uh, the creditor was within his right. And so now uh, the woman comes to Elisha asking for help. And this is the interaction that we're going to see between them today where we're going to make some observations about making room for more. Because here's what I believe. I believe that God's hand is on the becoming church. I believe that he's, he's blessing. I believe that he's doing something special here. And that's cool and that's awesome. But I believe that God is, uh, is his hand is on your life, that he's doing something in your life. You say, brother, I don't see it. Because all I see is hardships, and I see difficulty, and I see some tough situations. But I cannot tell you that sometimes it is in the valley that you realize that God is active and he's been doing something. Because when you think about a valley, everything kind of run low, and rain kind of settles. And it's that rain, it's that water that can actually position things to grow. So although you could be in your darkest season, it could be the season where you begin to flourish from that moment on. So listen, don't you, don't you give up. Don't you throw in the towel. Don't you quit. Don't you believe the thoughts in your mind that might be lying to you. No, you believe the report of the Lord. Do you hear me this morning? Because just because it's dark, listen, the day is coming, all right? Morning is coming. And you say, you may say, I'm mourning. Well, he'll turn your mourning into gladness. And you will rejoice. And the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Amen? And so here we're going to make some observations of, okay, God, if you're doing more in our lives, if we're making room for more, how do we do that? What's the blueprint? What's the playbook for us to do that? And that's what I'm going to do this morning. And, and y'all just give me a little grace as I uh, sip on this tea uh, every now and then. So here's the first observation. Excuse me. We're going to make room for stewardship. So if you're taking notes, make room for stewardship. And so here in uh, 2 Kings 4, verse 2, Elijah tells her after she says, listen, I need some help. He says, how can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? And she says, well, listen, I ain't got that much. All I have is this small jar of olive oil. Hey, family, how often do we pray for more? And God says, the more you need, you already have. How often do we pray, like, God, I need, I need more of, of, of this, more of that. And he says, what you need is already in your hands. Like, God, I need more time. And he says, how are you stewarding the time that I've given you? Like, God, I need more opportunities. And he's saying, what are you doing with the opportunities that you already have? Or maybe you're like me, and you prayed this prayer that I've prayed before. 
God, I, I need more of you. I want to experience more of you. And I remember saying that uh, at this event that I was at one time where we had some space to kind of step outside. And it was, it was really cool. It was in nature. And I just love being in nature and talking to God. And so for me, it was the perfect scene. And I remember saying, God, I just want to experience more of you. And I felt like I heard the Lord say, uh, son, I've, I've never not been available. The more that you want, it's the more that you could have. It's not based on what I would do. It's based on what you would do. And so I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, if you want to experience more of me, pray more. If you want to experience more of me, fast more. If you want to experience more of me, give more. If you want to experience more of me, have more faith. If you want to experience more of me, worship more. If you want to experience more of me, serve more. It wasn't on this idea of getting good to experience good, but it was saying, no, what you want has already been available. It's based on your willingness to steward what is in front of you. Are you tracking with me this morning? Because Scripture says in James, if we would draw close to him, he says, I would draw close to you. Meaning, if, if, and it really it's this idea of us positioning ourselves to say no to everything else, to say yes to him, and there is the closeness of him that we feel. Because he's an omnipresence God, which means his presence is everywhere. So it's not like this literal idea that he's got to move closer, but it's really us moving closer, and, and we realize, oh, there you have, you've been there the whole time. When we eliminate those distractions and things that will cause us to not see what's already been available. I think about John the Baptist who says that I must decrease so that he may increase. And it's not this idea, again, that God is getting bigger. He's, he's excuse my English, he's been big. <laughs> but what John the Baptist is letting us know that as I decrease, who I am, who Michael is, Michael's wants, Michael's desire, as that decreases, that who God is and his faithfulness and his holiness and his consistency and his love and his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness, that will increase in my life. So it's a stewardship thing that we have to pay attention to because here's the truth. Sometimes the more we need, we already have. God, I need more of this. He said, you already got more of that. But how are you stewarding what you have? It makes me think of John chapter 6. Verses 5 through 11, where Jesus and the disciples, they approach this crowd, and Jesus sees the disciples coming. And he says, listen, these folks look hungry. <laughs> we need to feed them. And, and, and Philip, in verse 7, he's like, uh, what are you talking about we need to uh, feed them? Like, that's cool, and that's awesome. I know you're the son of God. I always got to feed somebody. But this, this, this is going to take like a half a year uh, worth of wages. How are we going to do that? They're hungry right now. It takes a year and a half to get the money that we need to be able to feed all these people. And then in verse 8, another disciple speaks up named Andrew. It's like, well, listen, there's this boy over there. He got, he got a Lunchable. Perhaps we can use that and begin to feed these folks. And so here, here it is. Jesus takes uh, the Lunchable, also known as, you know, two fish and five loaves of bread. And Jesus, he uh, uh, gives thanks for it. He blesses it. And then they just begin to pass it out. And would you know it, that what looked like wasn't enough became more than enough. Because Scripture tells us, drop down to verse, thing, verse 13. Is it verse 13 I'm thinking about? I know I'm skipping around. Verse 13 would tell us, so they gather them and fill 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So everyone had something to eat to the point that it was left over. Now, in Scripture, it always mentions, you know, 5,000. Scripture will take account for men. It, it never takes account for any women and children. So who knows the number that was there? Some theologians uh, anticipate possibly 20,000 people that were on the scene and a part of this moment. But I want to back up a little bit. We want to look at verse 7. Because here's, look at verse 7. I'll, I'll say this before we get there, but you can put verse 7 on the screen. Whenever you're on the verge of more, there will always be those who wonder if more is necessary. He said, what are you talking about? Look at verse 7. Philip answered, but it would take more than a half years of wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So in other words, he's saying, is this even necessary? Do we even need to do this? Because how are we going to... Uh, do this. It's going to take too much money 
and, and it's going to take too much time, both of which we don't have. Is it necessary? Do we need to move this? Do we need to do this? And you may say, well, I'm not trying to feed 5,000, possibly 20,000 people, but maybe there's something else that you're doing in your life. Maybe God has you on this journey of transformation. And so you're showing up to church more, but not, you're not just showing up to church. You know, you gather as the church. You're, you're connected in community. Everything of your life is in, in relation to God is, is changing, is growing. You find yourself praying and serving and all these things. And, and people who you knew, who knew you before this transformation started happen, this is their verse 7 to you. But does it really take all of that? Do you really need to serve at that church like that? You know they're just kind of manipulating you, getting you to do the stuff that, you know, they don't want to do. They can't find somebody else to do it. And then you giving tithes and offering? Ain't that an Old Testament thing anyway? I bet he drive a Mercedes, huh? Come on now. Come on now. Like, do you really need to worship? All you? Why, why is she so loud? But here's what they don't understand. They don't know the revelation of who God is in your life because you experienced that hurt and he brought healing. You experienced that pain and he showed you a better way. You experienced that loss and he says, no, that wasn't a loss. That was a lesson. And because you experienced this, the next time you find yourself at that point, you're going to know how to step into that thing. And so when your hands are lifted high, when you are singing, when you're worshiping, when you're praying, you're like, look, this is the revelation of God who I have. So, yes, it does take all that. Yes, I may be a little loud. Yes, I may be a little rowdy because I got this revelation of who God is to me. So I'm not going to let no rocks cry out in my place. Now I'm going to open up my mouth. I'm going to say, God, you are good. You are worthy. And I'm living my life for the applause of you, for the applause of one. So yes, it does take all of that. Do we really need to have two services? I mean, because we was okay with one. I think we could have just stayed with one. I got to see everybody. I got to, all right, that was too real. <laughs> if you want to be comfortable, then you might as well not follow Jesus. Aren't you a preacher? Why would you say that? You're a pastor. Because the misconception people get is that saying yes to Jesus means a comfortable life. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's not. Because there is this tension of who you used to be and who your flesh still wants to be to who you are becoming. So you're going to feel yourself going like, so it's not comfortable. You're going to feel yourself being tugged in two different ways. But here's what Paul says, walk in the spirit so you do not gratify the flesh. Just because your flesh wants it doesn't mean that you got to say yes to it. But it's this consistent thing of every day denying your flesh, denying what you want to do and saying yes to what the spirit is leading you to. Meaning this, we got to steward the more that God is placing in our hands. That what's already there is all that we need. You don't have to ask for more yet. Yes, we can say, Lord, enlarge my territory. Yes, we can expand the tent pegs. But he is saying, listen, will you use what you have? That boy had two fish and five loaves of bread. And by using what was available, using what was in his hands, it became more. And here's the thing. When you live like this, when you live like this, and you give thanks for it. What did Jesus do? He gave thanks for it. He blessed it, and it was multiplied. So stop cursing what you have, and instead bless what you have. Stop cursing that car, because sometimes you got to pray a little bit more when it starts up. Stop cursing that house that God has provided. Stop cursing that job that you have. That is provision. If God has said, if you would just thank me for it, if you would uh, ask me to bless it, then you will see favor on this job. You will see provision in other areas of your life. Oftentimes, we are the roadblock to our own selves because of our mouth. Come on. So he said, if you will open up your mouth and thank me, I'll bless it, and then you'll see the multiplication happen. It's a stewardship thing. More requires stewardship. And so, when they, again, verse 13, they gathered, uh, and filled, all the baskets were filled, and there was more. Leftover, Because that's how it is. When you steward well, there's overflow. 
when you steward well, it's, it's not just enough for you uh, to, to, to be taken care of, but it's enough for the people around you. And I'm not talking about finances, but I'm talking about walking, and that's part of it, but I'm talking about walking in life in connection with Jesus. I pray, Lord, help me to live in such a way that when I'm in public and people walk around me that they can't, what in the world is different about this, dude? That when people around you at your work, what in the world is different about you? When you just at the movies, what in the world is different about you? Because you're living in the overflow. You're living, and listen, I'm, I'm, the scripture says be filled and continually be filled. Because I'm continuously to be filled with the presence of God and who he is. That I walk a little different, I talk a little different, and you can't help but catch a little bit of this thing. And that some of this that has gotten on me, which is God, has gotten on you. That should be the way that we desire to live. It's a stewardship thing. It's not just for us. More requires stewardship. It's y'all fault. I stayed on that point too long. <laughs> y'all kept a minute. Here's the next observation. More requires stewardship. Verse 3. Elijah said, go and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. So as parents, excuse me, Katie and I were trying to uh, teach our children, the art of collaboration. And so we covered your prayers in that. And um, we had a really good week uh, to see what would happen, a really good opportunity this week to see what would happen with uh, what we're trying to teach. And so it was spring break, so we took them to a uh, main event. We had recently moved, so we was like, yo, this spring break, we're just going to chill, try to get this house uh, together. I remember a couple weeks ago, I couldn't find the Apple TV. I found it, or Katie found it. <laughs> Amen, glory to God. And so we had hung around the house, just been doing activities. So we went to the main event one day, and um, uh, nobody was there. We got there pretty early. And so after we finished up, normally, you know, if you've been there, they have that room in the back on the left. You can go, you know, hey, here's what I got. Here's my points. They total up. Here's what you can get. Normally we skip that because, you know, we're just trying to get on out. But we was like, you know what? It's spring break. We'll, we'll, we'll chill a little bit, let them go. And they had enough points. I think it was like 500 plus points, nearly 600 divided up amongst them. Now, maybe this is for you, like when you go to the grocery store, they start looking at seeing what 500-some points could get. And they was like, man, this don't get much. <laughs> and you're like, man, this $20 don't go like it used to. Half of that is on eggs, right? <laughs> so, so I think Katie had the idea. It's like, hey, now if you keep your points together and don't split them up, you actually might come out better. And so I think we kind of stayed out of the situation, see what they would decide. And would you know it, family? They actually chose to collaborate. Come on, revival is breaking out in the Hamilton household <laughs> amongst the children. And through that collaboration, they got more. The boys got a basketball. Zoe got some stuff that uh, she liked. And, I mean, they had a good time. And literally, we left with no complaining. That right there tells me that God is on the move, somebody. <laughs> but that idea of collaboration is the idea that Elijah, Elisha, was getting this woman to see when he says, listen, collaborate by going and asking your neighbors. So if you only have one jar, go and collaborate. And this is what God is saying to us. Go and collaborate. I didn't give you that idea for you to keep it and benefit from it yourself. Go and collaborate. I didn't give you that gift that you have just for you to use it for your own benefit. Everything doesn't have to be monetized. Go and collaborate. Like, I didn't open that door and make a way for you for you only to pull yourself through that door. No, turn around and see who else and I'm, am I bringing through this door with me. Go and collaborate. We talked about Nehemiah back in November. And, and Nehemiah was, was a cupbearer for the king. And he heard that the walls of Jerusalem, he was a Jew, he heard that the walls of Jerusalem were in ruins. And he was moved with this burden to be able to rebuild those walls. But listen, just because he had a burden, that wasn't going to be enough to rebuild those walls. That Nehemiah would still be out there today with his brick and, and mortar and hammer and chisel and whatever else it takes to build a wall, still trying to rebuild those walls right now this very moment. But what allowed them to get those, see those walls completed? And what was it, 52 days, I believe. It was because of the art of collaboration. And so the same way God is calling us to be people who don't live in isolation, but people who choose collaboration. And, you, and, and here's why we have to choose collaboration, because all of us in here, we are, you know how you're about to say something, 
And then you're like, hold on. How I got it in my mind is probably not how it's going to come out. But I'm going to say it, then y'all going to laugh. All of us in here are the, are, are the result of collaboration. <laughs> but I ain't talking about that. Are you tracking with me? <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Genesis 1.26. What does God say? Let us make mankind in our image. So the very image that we bear, the very image that we was made in was in the image of collaboration. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our image. So who are we to be to deny collaboration? Who do we think we are that we would choose to, to be this lone ranger, to be this lone wolf, to, to only choose to do things in isolation? Because here's the truth, family. We can do more through collaboration than we can do in isolation. That, that dream you have, that vision that God has given you, it can increase and grow and multiply when you choose collaboration. You can say, I, I'm good, I got it. Okay, you can be, I'm good, and you have it. And 10 years later, you'll still be trying to figure something out that only supposed to took two years. If you just would have chose, chosen the art of collaboration. Look at Psalms 133, verses 1 and 3. It says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when God's people choose collaboration. Then what does it say? For there the Lord commands his blessing. Listen, there's a blessing of God on unity. There's a blessing on God when we choose to come together. There's a blessing from God when we can deny what we want, how we feel, and all we want to do, and choose unity. There the Lord commands a blessing. So if you want to live a blessed life, then we need to live a united life. Are you tracking with me this morning? Here's the final observation we'll make this morning, is that more requires development. So verse 4, Elijah says this, go inside the house and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Verse 5, so she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. And they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. Kobe Bryant, who in my opinion, is one of the top three players of all time. Don't debate me on that. This is just what I feel. But he was known for um, what was called these blackout training sessions, uh, where he would train at like 4, 4.30, uh, in the morning, and you hear a lot of people, he would tell people, hey, come train with me. And they say, what time? He say 4.30. And then they show up at 4.30. And then they say, yo, where are you? Like, oh, you showed up at 4.30 p.m. No, 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 that's 4.30 a.m. So it's very intense. And um, part of what he would do, he would shoot thousands of shots or actually make thousands of shots. So it wasn't just shooting. He would make thousands of shots. He would run sprints. He would also lift weights. Now, most uh, athletes at that level they would do those things on separate days, not the same day, not the day of a practice later on. But that's how he trained. But one thing he would also do in, in, in those moments, he would work on a, on a move, but he would work on a single aspect of that move. So if he's got the ball and he's trying to jab and sweep through, he would sit here and work on just this move for like an hour, just this. And folks like, this dude is crazy. He's on a whole nother level. <clears throat> here's why he would do that. Because in his mind, he knew I was gonna fa- he was going to face all types of defenses. He knew that man right there was already waiting for when he beat this guy. He knew that guy was already coming for them when he beat this guy, then beat that guy. So he needed to have all types of, of, of moves out of that one move. And if he could develop it well, he knew he could do that well. So the Kobe Bryant that we knew, the 81 points, the five uh, championships, <clears throat> still more than LeBron, the five championships, um, the, the MVPs, the all-star appearances, all those things. We don't know him for those moments. We know him because of those moments of an hour 
of just sitting here working on a single move. And you may be saying, what are you talking about? I'm saying this. The unseen moments of life are the moments that lead to transformation. That what you do in the secret place, what you do when no one's looking, what you do when no one is around, those are the moments that the difference is being made. Those are the moments that lead to transformation. But can I tell you, for so many of us, that is difficult. Nobody sees me. Nobody knows my name. Nobody is celebrating me. I've worked so hard on that project. I'm not getting any recognition. Do they know how long I stayed up on that? They don't want to sing it on mic, and I'm singing background, making them sound good. (laughs) But I ain't getting no credit. And I can say this stuff because I know as a millennial, our generation deals with that a lot. I know Gen Z, the generation behind us, deal with that a lot. But you don't have to be millennial or Gen Z in here. We all deal with that to, to whatever degree. But listen, family, could it be that what is done in the unseen seasons of life position us for the seen seasons of life? That when you allow yourself to just be hidden, when you allow yourself to go through this process of development, the prophet said, go in the house and shut the door, right? Have we had a shut the door moment yet? Or do we get the vision in a dream and we got to go tell everybody on Instagram and Facebook? He says, go in the house and shut the door. Be developed because you want to be seen, but you can't handle being seen. Because if you were to be seen right now, you would think that this thing is about you. And then here comes the issue. Here comes the mistake. Here comes the struggle. But if you would just stay in the hiding place, if you would just stay in the secret place and allow me to be the potter, you be the clay, let me mold you, let me shape you and develop you into who you are becoming, that when the moment comes for the world to see and you to be revealed, you can step there knowing that you're only where you are because God has gotten you there. Are you tracking with me this morning? So it's going to take a perspective shift because right now we're like, I'm buried. Nobody sees me. I'm just beneath the surface. But listen, you're not buried. You're just planted. So you're not buried. You're, you're going deeper. You're not buried. You're, you're, you're growing. You're not buried. You're becoming smarter. You're not buried. You're becoming wiser. You're not buried, but the, the, the roots are going deeper so that when the wind comes, when the storm comes, you're not going to be uprooted, but you're going to hold still and firm and say, God, I can take on whatever comes my way because I'm not rooted in who I am, but if I allow myself to be rooted in you, are we willing to have our perspective change that I'm not buried, but I'm planted? that I'm positioned to grow. A great example of that is King David. Here he is. Um, He had his his brothers. And the prophet Samuel at the time shows up to Jesse, their father, and is like, yo, it's time to anoint the next king. And he lines up all his boys. and, And Samuel's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. He's like, is there another? And here's the thing about about it. You want to talk about having a complex, having some father wounds, some dad issues. You've got David who wasn't even considered by his own father. That when the prophet showed up saying, where are the sons? He listed all of them. He lined all of them up. Except David, his son. Even when he says, I mean, yeah. I mean, but he's just out there in them fields. And that's how some people would treat what God has called you to. They're just out there. I don't know what they're doing. They're just out there. But here David gets anointed king. Let me say this. Sometime, before I say that, sometimes... The, the rush is to be seen, 
because we feel like we're going to miss it. <laughs> like we feel we're going to miss whatever God has for us. But can I tell you, what God has for you is for you. How many brothers did David have that beat him on the scene? They got there before him, but yet none of them were chosen. It was David who was anointed king. So you don't have to rush the unseen moments because of the fear of who might get there first. They may have started it first. They may have seen it first. They may have heard it first. But can I tell you that what is for you is for you. And God will hold that thing until you're ready, until it's time to step into it. So you don't have to rush your unseen season thinking that someone else or something else is going to cause you to be at a disadvantage. God is saying, I've been holding this thing for you the very whole time. So you don't have to rush your unseen season. It don't matter who got there first. It don't matter who came up with it first. What God has for just like for them, yeah, what God has for them is for them. That's great. It's going to do awesome. But in the same way, what God has for you is for you. But here it is, 15 years from the moment that he was anointed king to becoming king. And we can't even handle the Lord saying just wait a year. And here this man then got anointed king or boy, I should say teenager, got anointed king, and it's another 15 years before he would take the throne. But here's something about that. So you fast forward a little bit, and here it is, Goliath, he's coming out with all his taunts, and all of Saul, who is the king of Israel at this time, all his soldiers, they're scared. And David comes up serving trying to serve his brothers who despise him. What are you doing up here anyway? Oh, you're just trying to be on the scene. And that's what some people say to you. What you doing anyway? You just want somebody to see you. And all you're doing is serving. All you're doing is holding it down. Listen, don't leave the post that God has given you. And just because you know what's next, that don't mean it takes us away from a position of serving. He knew he was going to be king one day, but yet he still served. So he shows up and he's serving and he's talking down on him. And then he hears Goliath making all these taunts. And he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's Christian custom, by the way. <laughs> and he's like, yo, no, no, this, ain't go, this don't sit well with me. So he says, Saul, let me, get, let me get out. And Saul's like, yo, you only a boy. This dude been fighting for forever. And what does David say to him? He says, listen, when I was taking care of those sheep, that lions will come, bears will come. And I will take out the lion and I will take out the bear. And in the same way, I will take out this giant named Goliath who is trying to defy who God is. And we all know the story. He steps up to that moment and he slays the giant. But what prepared him for that moment, family? And I'm closing. Micah, you could come. What prepared him for that moment? It was the moment when he was out in the fields when no one was looking, when no one was around, and he was taking care of the sheep. And when the lions came, when the bears came, he took them out. And so now because of what was done in the unseen moments of life, that when the moment came for him to be revealed and seen, he could step up and handle it because of what was done in the dark. So we all want more. But God is saying more requires stewardship. That more requires, excuse me, collaboration. And more requires development. Sometimes God gives a vision that is not for right now. And how we handle the not for right now will determine if we would ever step into that vision later. So here it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Second Kings, verse 4. Elijah says, Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to a side. So they went inside, they shut the doors, They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. Then verse 6, when all the jars were full, she said to her sons, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left, and then the oil stopped. A couple things about oil. 
So oil was <clears throat> used for cooking. It was used for lamps. It was used for um, just other necessities and things around the house in, in, in those days. But if you notice, in verse 6, the oil only stopped pouring when they ran out of containers. So as long as there were containers, then the oil would keep flowing and keep pouring. So you can say it, you can look at it this way, that the number of jars that they gathered was an indication of their faith. They gather one jar, this is the indication of their faith. And that's fine. Two jars, three jars, four jars, so on, you get the point. It was an indication of their faith. Here's the thing I've understood about God is that there's levels to this walk with him. And here's what I mean by that. There's the perfect will of God. That's just walking and living in the plan that God has for your life. Living a life of faith, living a life of trust, living a life of obedience. It's the perfect will of God. Don't mean you have all the answers. It's just the perfect will of God. Then there's the permissible will of God. Where he says, like, yeah, I permit that. If, I mean, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I mean, it'll work, but, I mean, there's more, but cool if that's what you want to do. And then there's outside the will of God. So he allows us that ability to choose. That's why he didn't create us to just, like, he could have just made us to worship him, but it was, it's a choice. It's a decision, free will to decide that. But he could have made us to just wor worship him and live from all those things, but no. He says, you can decide, you can choose what level you want to live on. So if that level of faith says one jar, I mean, okay. But if that level of faith says many jars, okay. Because here's the thing, God's provision was going to be as large as their faith and willingness to be obedient. Where do you find yourself in that? And here's what I want to say to you this morning. Don't reduce your faith because of how big it is of what you believe in God to do in your life. Because when we do that, to limit God, it limits his ability to move. So don't you pull back on that prayer that you've been praying. Don't you pull back on that thing that you've been believing God for just because how big it is. It's supposed to be big. It's supposed to be scary. It's supposed to feel that way. Because if you could do it on your own, then it's just not enough. But when you need God to step into it, he says, watch me and watch what I can do. And so to illustrate this point further, if y'all come. So it said, as long as, you can just set it right there, Stephen. I'm going to get you to stand right here. Stephen was ready to get right to it. The number of jars that they brought was an indication of their faith, Right? It said, and it said as long as the jars were available, the oil kept coming. So here it is. Stephen, he came, and he brought his, his jar. And there's the oil. It's pouring. So there's Stephen. But he, Ethan came, and he brought his jar. And he kept pouring. Oh, wait a minute. He brought another one. Hold on. And so the oil, it says, as long as there were jars, the oil kept coming. Hold on. So there's still more. As long as he kept coming, the oil kept flowing. Now unto him who was able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all I could ever ask, thank or imagine that this is a well that never runs dry that I'm more than capable capable or able to provide every single thing that you need so as long as the jars were there the oil kept coming here's what I'm saying will you provide the jars this morning because the scripture says as long as there were jars the oil kept coming the oil is just not for you to cook with, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that it was that oil that, that, that Samuel 
anointed David with. And it said that at that moment, the Holy Spirit came upon him. So if you will live your life as a jar and just keep bringing the jars, you will see the power of the Holy Spirit give you the ability to do what in and of yourself you can. Don't you dumb down your faith. Don't you level down your faith. I don't care what the markets say. I don't care what bank closes next. I don't care what the eggs cost because there is nothing too hard for my God. Whatever it is, it is in front of you. He can deal with it. If it's another sea, he will part it. If it's some false prophets, he will give you the power and ability to take them out. Here's what I'm saying. Provide the jars and the oil will keep flowing. And I don't know what that is and what that looks like in your life, but it's the oil. It's the Live an oily life. If you want to be different, live an oil life, oily life. And I'm not saying different means better, just saying I'm, I'm different because of the oil that's in me, because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is in me. How will I accomplish this? I don't know, but there's a power that resides in me that's going to lead me, that's going to guide me. The idea you have is not you. It's the creative genius of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to make room for God, if we want to make room for more, provide the jars. Because as you provide the jar, he says, I'm going to provide the oil. And then, family, it can get to a point where you live so oily that you get a little leaky. And then the people that you live life with, it just begins to be the overflow. And now folks who come around you, their lives are impacted. Their lives are different because you welcome the person of the Holy Spirit into your life. The Holy Spirit is not weird. It's people who are weird. If Jesus Christ himself would be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know he didn't perform a single miracle until that moment he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So who are we to think that we can live this life in the right way without the power of the Holy Spirit? He says, if you be filled, don't just stop there, but continuously be filled. So the Holy Spirit isn't weird, but he gives us this ability to live in a way that blows any way that we can live and of ourselves out of the water. Here's the point. Provide the jars, and he'll provide the oil. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we're grateful, we're thankful. Thank you for your provision. God, thank you that you provide every single thing that we need. And so, Lord, here we are as people, as jars, making ourselves available to be used by you, to be filled with your spirit. And God, I pray right now, God, just for a fresh outpouring of your spirit. God, you said that all we have to do is just ask and, and, and you would fill us. And so, Lord, I just pray now for a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit. God, to live in a way that's beyond us, but live in a way that is connected to you. God, to be able to see things differently, to be able to hear things differently. God, to, to, to be like the sons of Issachar and be able to discern the times and the moments, Lord. Because if things may be different and weird and uncertain, God, we need your spirit to navigate these days so that we don't live a shaken life, but we live a stirred up life, that the gift that you've placed inside of us would be stirred up, Lord. And if you're in here this morning, the beginning of this journey of being filled or providing the jar begins by saying yes to Jesus. If you've never submitted your life to the Lordship of who he is, I'm going to give you this opportunity. And so what happens is when you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit then dwells inside of you. That's God in you. That's why we say that you don't go to church, but you gather as the church because Paul reminds us, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Meaning that, that you are the temple in which God, his presence, his spirit resides. So we don't go to church. You know, we are the church. We just gather as the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. 
And so the beginning of making, of, of gathering a jar begins by saying yes to him and then allowing his presence to fill your life. And as I said moments ago, that it won't mean that your life will get easy. In fact, it actually may get harder because now there's this tension of who you used to be that's butting up against of who you're becoming. But instead of trying to navigate that new change on your own, you have the power of the Holy Spirit that's now with you. And now he's showing you and he's empowering you and he's enabling you to live different than how you used to live. And can I tell you, there'll be a day that it won't feel like you are connected, but you are connected. Now, there'll be moments where you feel like he's not there, but he's there. And so if that's you this morning, I'm not going to make this long. It's not in my job description to convince you of anything because I can't. It's only that I can present it and it's the Holy Spirit who does the work. So I can walk off this thing and be okay if not a single hand went up. Because no matter what I said or how I said it, it was the Holy Spirit who was going to do the work anyway. So don't think that I'm, I'm trying to draw this out to get a hand to go up. That's beyond me. I can only present to you what is available. And so if you are in here this morning and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life and surrender your life to him, if that is you, would you just simply raise your hand? I just want to lead you in a prayer if that's you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your presence. Thank you, God, that you are here. And Lord, I pray that we live lives where we provide the jar. In fact, let our lives be jars so that we can be filled by your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on.